I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition. You're a go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'd like to introduce Farid Pitgoli. He's a well-respected leader at Roche Pharmaceuticals in Asia-Pacific. As we'll hear, he oversees a healthcare business in transition within Southeast Asia, looking beyond the challenges of a pharma-only business. With a career which has immersed him in digital health, He understands the challenges and opportunities within a broader ecosystem, including new roles required for Roche, especially within the countries he oversees as a general manager. Welcome, Farid, to our show. Good morning, Tony. Thank you for inviting me to your show. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Oh, great, great. So to get us started, what brought you into the world of healthcare? How did you start your journey in uh, tackling some of the challenges that we see in this complex environment around us? Yeah, so the, the truth is, is that um, I'm a little bit of a science geek by background. So um, I loved science as a, as a child and went through university, so in pharmacy school chemistry. And actually, whilst I loved the science, I didn't love the laboratory work. So then I was thinking, well, how can I combine my love for science, but also my love for people and interacting with people? And therefore, I joined the pharmaceutical company in 2001, joined the industry, and then, yeah, I've never really looked back since. So that was my first step into healthcare. But if you, if you were to really ask me when I was really passionate about healthcare, I would have to confess to say, you know, it was only really when I was started to have more of a mock access responsibilities and really understanding some of the challenges and barriers to access to innovation that I took a genuine interest in terms of how healthcare systems develop, how they value innovation. And also then my broader view on working in different markets gave me different perspectives on how we should look at healthcare. Yeah, it's a fascinating industry, as you said, multiple layers that can challenge our thinking and many, many difficult problems to solve. And we've spoken together on panels before, uh, both internal to Roche and, and externally. And you know, one of the things that I think is fascinating about your current area of focus is that you sit across as a general manager multiple countries in Southeast Asia. Can you tell us a bit more about which countries are under your remit? Yeah, so I have great diversity, which I absolutely love. So I have um, Thailand under my responsibility, which, you know, if we take that in the ASEAN context, then Thailand is an emerging economy. It's been renowned for developing a universal healthcare system. And, and it is going to face challenges in terms of delivering and continues to deliver in that promise, but is seen as a big success. But then I look after other markets like Myanmar, Cambodia and Laos, where health is, is a luxury, unfortunately, and those healthcare systems are, are developing. And therefore, I have a, a leadership role into play in terms of how I can help support the development of the healthcare infrastructure in those markets. And the challenge is really, really vastly different versus, you know, somewhere in Laos, we, you know, you have a lack of human health care resource and capacity in the healthcare system. Myanmar, whilst you have the resources, you don't necessarily have the finance to really bring healthcare to life. So 
because there's many different challenges across the different markets and, uh, and the diversity is, is something I really love. Yeah, for some of our listeners, they may be only experienced in working in developed environments where everything is already existing and they're trying to tackle a very complicated problem, but maybe more narrow in focus relative to what you're describing. It sounds like you have to pave the road as you're literally driving on it in terms of trying to get all the pieces in place to focus uh, not just on healthcare delivery, but just even the basics of healthcare. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Um, but actually, before that, I think you have to even, before you even pay the road and drive on it, you have to kind of show them where the road could go and could lead to. And that's a big challenge, but it's also a big privilege. And I've worked in mature markets throughout my career. I've worked in the UK, probably the majority of it, and then worked in the US, worked in China. And I think there are lots of learnings you can take from those mature markets into the, you know, the developing markets. But I think one of the things is around when we think about today's healthcare systems and what we learn, what I see in many of those markets, such as Cambodia, Laos, and Myanmar is they're trying to follow the tested path, yeah? So in laying the road, they want to lay it like everyone else has laid it. And when we think about the technology and the disruption that technology brings, I think that they don't have to follow those paths. I think they can, you know, build runways and bridges and, and really think about how they can reimagine healthcare in its entirety and how it gets delivered. And, and you know, I try to bring that thought leadership to those markets um, to challenge the status quo in the way that they could arguably develop a lot faster in their evolution. That's fantastic. And for our audience who may not know about Roche's ambitions and, and also its proof points in the market, you, you do a lot more than focus on your solutions and your therapeutic interventions. Can you tell us a bit more about the broader ambition for Roche, say for the next 10 years and what you want to accomplish as a company? Yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, I think I'll start with the pharmaceutical industry. I think pharmaceutical industry in general has always been seen as, as maybe in healthcare as, as part of the problem. And we need to really think about how we can be part of the solution. And we need to look broader beyond and accept the challenges that healthcare is facing in the fact that we have, you know, aging populations, which demand more resource, more financing. And then we have limited finances in healthcare. And therefore, something has to give. And unless we really understand that healthcare can't be delivered at the scale and at the pace that it once was because of limited budgets, because populations are becoming increasingly unwell. We need to solve for the same challenge. And at Roche, our 10-year vision is, is how do we bring three to five times more medical advances to society at 50% less of the cost? And that 50% less of the cost is important because that talks about increased efficiencies, not only in our business, in the way we operate, but it talks about how do we enable others to have better efficiencies in healthcare so they can invest in the right things and make the biggest impact to population health and also to personalized healthcare as well. So it's a very ecosystem-driven approach as opposed to just focusing on Roche's direct challenges ahead of you. And that's actually a great lead into a conversation on your vision of where digital health or health tech could go in the future and, and how it, they could be collaborators or partners in achieving this broader vision. Can you tell us a bit more about what is your vision for where digital health fits in? So I honestly believe that if I was to be head of the Minister of Health now for Cambodia or Laos and Myanmar, I would say stop building hospitals. I would say let's move to 5G as fast as possible. I speak to the Minister of Education, I'll say 
can we introduce digital literacy curriculum, please, in our educational curriculum? Can we please think about how we train our medical physicians and ask them to introduce digital health curriculums and telemedicine curriculums into the way that we practice medicine? Because in countries where there is a lack of infrastructure, physical infrastructure, hospitals, clinics, where there's a lack of human resource in terms of pharmacists, pathologists, physicians, nurses. If we go down the tested route in those markets and develop those countries the way that traditionally we've seen other markets developed, then the promise of equitable, affordable healthcare at scale for populations is at least two decades away, in my opinion. So if we were to embrace digital and really think about digital as the infrastructure and the architecture to enable health and to support clinical decision-making, harnessing AI, harnessing clinical decision support, harnessing the ability of connectivity and consultation virtually, we could do so much more. And therefore, we would be able to accelerate those emerging markets to a scale and within an affordability envelope that would make a true meaningful difference to society. And that, for me, would be the vision of where I would like digital to play a role in healthcare. Fantastic vision. As you know, I, I enjoy writing and telling narratives as a, both a fiction writer and also writing nonfiction about where we're going. And that's a future I would love to see be made into a reality. Uh, I think it's the use of technology first to overcome some of the structural challenges. It makes a lot of sense. So when you look at the countries you're in, maybe Thailand is a good example of this with some of the most innovative hospitals out there like Bomengrad. Where are you seeing that vision that you've painted start to become more real? Can you tell us a story of one or two examples of where you're excited about what's happening in the market or even where perhaps where you're engaged and involved as a Roche in, in making that difference? Yeah, so obviously um, when we were think about the pandemic, the pandemic has been a burning platform to help, let's say, release the potential we've all seen in, in telemedicine, telehealth. And I think that we see that specifically in hospitals like Bumangrad and BDMS and the private hospitals. But then we're also seeing it in the public sector as well in terms of how they're engaging with patients. One of the things I also like is, is that they are also using technology around how to improve the patient experience, which is something we shouldn't neglect when we look at digital technology. We think this is a way of delivering care. Actually, it's also a way of delivering a better experience. So for example, in um, a hospital called Siriraj, it's a university hospital. They allow people to book online. And then when people go for their appointments, if they're running late, they will get notifications. They will tell them, go and have a coffee. And that's great. Now, it's something very simple. You know that a patient's about to attend an appointment, but you're running late. Rather than sitting in a, in a chair for 30 minutes, getting frustrated, you're giving them the option to do what they want and inform them. So I think there's the patient experience element as well when we look at digital health, but that's just one example. On the extremes, then I think ophthalmology is a great example in Thailand where there's been partnerships between Google and, and Nikon and, and ophthalmologies around using artificial intelligence to really look at looking at retinal images to predict things like diabetic retinopathy and certain diseases as well, um, using AI rather than um, just clinicians. And that's really important, specifically when you look at Thailand and it's you know, an aging population. The number of people with diabetes and where people will, will have age-related and molecular degeneration will, will increase. So I think that's a great step. 
And then, in, in fact, you asked me about what we're doing. In fact, we want to do something in ophthalmology. We've, we've partnered with a, a UK startup called GiveVision, and they have an amazing device called Sight Plus, which is a, a headset visual device which improves visual acuity. But actually, what we're trying to do in Thailand is take the fact that it improves visual acuity, and the study from Morfield's Hospital shows that people with um, different eye diseases spend about four to five hours a day um, using this device. So highly sticky, yeah? But with that, then we're seeing if we can, let's say, expand the use of that and actually move this away from just a visual aid, but actually can we also do visual acuity tests? So could we actually, you know, do visual acuity tests in real time based on the fact that this is degenerative disease? So could we track how degenerative diseases of the eye is over time? Could we pick up those signals as well using AI? And can we, for example, you know, replace the need to go to an ophthalmologist for an eye test, you know, every six months? So that's really exciting as well, because again, you're bringing personalized medicine to patients in ophthalmology when we only think we could bring personalized medicine to maybe, you know, cancer today. We're improving the patient experience, but arguably we could reduce the resources and demands on healthcare systems and ophthalmologists doing eye tests, which are arguably a, a low value in terms of their clinical expertise. So I think there's, there's, there's amazing things happening in general in the ecosystem that I'm seeing, which, you know, it's great. I love, I love the experimentation. I just would love to see it at scale. Yeah, to hear you describe that, I think probably gets our audience uh, who are entrepreneurs very excited about the fact that you're speaking their language. You're describing, you know, the way that you can be problem-led and, and helping individuals achieve better healthcare outcomes, talking about the experience. And, you know, one of the things that from a Roche perspective that I think has been very exciting to see from an industry perspective is that you have technology infused into your DNA as a company with your investments and acquisitions of companies like Flatiron Health and Foundation Medicine and MySugar. And I think the future has a lot of promise if leaders like you who are embedded not only within Roche, but other pharmaceutical organizations are taking that view that helped to be very ecosystem driven. So thank you for, for being a leader in that space. What, what do you see that as um, Roche overall, you have a pharma business, you have a diagnostics business, you focus on various therapeutic areas. If you look at the countries that are in charge of trying to transform healthcare within, which area, which therapeutic area is your priority right now? Or if it's more than one, what are those areas? Yeah, it's um, one of the challenges actually of Roche right now is, is we have a fantastic pipeline and the pipeline in the future is, is highly diverse. And I always find this a, a personal challenge as, as a leader you know, of a pharmaceutical company in, in Thailand or irrespective of where, where I am in the world is, is that idea of prioritizing. Yeah, because then you're asking me to choose certain people with certain diseases over other people with other diseases. And I think that's something as, as leaders we really struggle to do. So we try to, for example, look at how we can bring the science, the medical advances, we can shape policy in different ways. Roche, obviously, today would be largely known as an oncology company. But if we look at our pipeline, we have an emerging rare disease pipeline. We have an a really exciting ophthalmology portfolio. And then we have a history in nephrology and transplantation. All of those plates we have to spin because, you know, I was on a call the other day and we were talking about our, um, our established portfolio and meaning that products where, you know, maybe now are off patent, but still very highly relevant. 
And we were interviewing somebody and they gave me a great answer. We said, well, you know, how would you handle that these products aren't, aren't very sexy anymore? Yeah. And his answer was brilliant. He said, well, they might not be sexy for us because it's not new innovation. It's not new science. But if you were to ask a patient who's just about to go through a kidney transplantation, ask them, is this drug that's about to help you not reject your new organ sexy? He said, I think they say it's really sexy. You know, I thought it was a great answer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it really is difficult when we think about prioritizing the innovation that we bring um, to people all over the world. So in other words, it's being very individual-centric, consumer-centric in the mindset and following where their needs are. And I think that's a fantastic view of how to operate. It's very much the way that we need to operate as an overall industry. Uh, And that's what brings ecosystems and partners together in a collaborative way when you can solve common problems that are led by the individual first. So that's great to hear. And as you think about the challenges ahead, where do you see the biggest roadblocks that prevent you today from achieving your goals? And, and what are you working on to try to overcome those challenges? So as we think beyond, let's say, the pandemic that we're currently in, I think that healthcare is highly relevant. I think it's highly relevant politically. And I think that amongst society, it's something that I think we've paid a lot of focus and attention to, rightly so. And it's something that we value. You know, we value our health. We value the health of others, which is great. My concern would be, as we look forward, as we move away from a healthcare crisis, we start really looking at the the price we paid for that economically. And my worry is that healthcare and and governments could go one of two ways. They could look to say, this is an area where we need to invest and support in R&D and strengthen healthcare systems. Or they could say, this is an area now where we need to cut costs because we look at this in a silo way. Yeah, not in an ecosystem way, not, not in a health of a nation way. And I'm hoping that we look at that, that the former, we look at that healthcare is an investment. And I'll give you a great example, actually. If we look at the um, human capital index that's published by the World Bank, then it would rank Thailand, for example, behind countries like Malaysia and Vietnam. And that's because, you know, for the first time in 2018, Thailand became an aging society And by 2040, Thailand will have a third of its population over the age of 65. And when you put that into economic context and healthcare context, it means two very simple things for me. It means that we're going to have a higher number of people who are dependent and a workforce that they rely on to keep them healthy. And we need to keep that workforce healthy. So investing in health is investing in your economy. And I'm hoping that a country like Thailand realizes that. And, and I hope that other countries around the world realize that also. And to put that in context, there's about 70 million people in Thailand. So it's yeah. a pretty significant number significant. of individuals. Yeah. yeah. So as you look at the initiatives that uh, are impactful to you, one of the newsworthy items that came up recently is that uh, through future-proofing healthcare, there's now an APAC index that helps to measure advancements towards and current status towards personalized healthcare. Tell us a bit more about that. For me, it was a fantastic way of really thinking around the future of healthcare and personalized healthcare and how we deliver that. And, and a big element actually of, of that research was looking at digital technology, was looking at artificial intelligence, was looking at the access to telemedicine, telehealth, was looking at the access to or the use of wearables and biosensors as well. And I'm glad that they included that. 
and looked at personalized healthcare from a digital landscape as well as where we would think from a traditional diagnostics and therapeutic landscape. And it also looks at things like the policy context. Do, do we have really strong policies and a strong political will behind personalized healthcare? And they ranked countries against that, against their policies. And what was interesting is, is that, for example, for Thailand, um, Thailand and Taiwan had what the experts thought was, was the best policy, right? The best directional policy that if implemented would deliver utopia in personalized healthcare. But then when you looked at um, Thailand overall, it ranked seventh. And when you look at some of the reasons behind that is, is that, again, lack of investment in research and development, lack of investment in personalized technologies, both digitally and, I guess, both pharmaceutical and diagnostic. Also in terms of workforce capacity as well, in, in terms of uptake. So these are some of the barriers. And I think, I think it's quite clear that you can have the greatest policy in the world, but then if it's not supported to be implemented, then you have a big challenge. And, and that's, in the, that's in any case. You know, I can have the best business strategy for Thailand and Cambodia, Laos and Myanmar, but if my organisation, our employees, my, my colleagues, don't believe in that, or they're not passionate about it, or they're not giving their, the support, the resources, the knowledge, the know-how to implement that, it fails. And I think that, that also personalised health, some of the findings were, were really clearly attributed to some, some of those things as well. Um, Singapore was out top. So huge congratulations to Singapore, where you are, Tony. I think that, again, goes back down to attitudes of individuals and the investment and the importance that the um, Singapore government is placing on it as well. But I love these indexes. I think it forms a sense of competition, which is healthy for me. I think we've seen this in many ways, where governments don't like to be the one that's ranked on the list. And I think it also helps shape policy and shows people where they, if they made some slight, slight adjustments or slight investments or valued things a little bit more, that would have a, have a huge impact. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that the report's out. And um, let's hope we, we repeat that in a, a year's time, a couple of years' time and see how countries have moved on. Now my job as a leader is, is to really kind of try and raise awareness of that. So we will do that here, here in Thailand. But I also encourage other leaders. This was something that Roche supported, but I, I need other people to speak about these things. You know, like yourself, Tony, we, we need to raise awareness of this so we can really make a, a huge impact. Yeah. And for full disclosure, I've also been involved with this index development and part of the Future Proofing Healthcare Initiative in, in several ways. And lots more news to come around uh, what could happen in that. And in future podcasts, I'll address that. And uh, for our audience, we'll have links to the Future Proofing Healthcare Index as part of the show notes. We're coming up on time here. So thank you so much, Farid, for your input. It's been a fantastic conversation. If our audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Is that LinkedIn? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, yeah, LinkedIn um, is, is probably the best way to reach out to me. And yeah, I'm more than happy to, to connect and share ideas and, and make new friends. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And that's a wrap on this episode. Farad's LinkedIn is included in the show notes, along with other relevant links for both Farad and for me. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe, you'll get other updates on new episodes and other content. You can read more about my writing on my website at www.tonyestrella.com, where you'll find links to reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and WeChat, or you can email me at apac at digitalhealthtoday.com if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. And finally, 
please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com or on our second home at healthpodcastnetwork.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team, including Dan Kendall and Eugene Borohovich. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Urich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.